Today on Locked On Red Wings, is Dan Campbell going to be the next motivational speaker for the Detroit Red Wings and previewing the game against the Nashville Predators? You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I am a podcast producer for the Daily J, WWJ News Radio podcast. I actually did. I hosted um, Tuesday's edition of the Daily J. We talked about the, oh, the pilot shortage. So go ahead and go listen to that on the, the Odyssey shortage? app. The pilot shortage. Ah, yes. You know? Very, yeah. very prevalent today. Yes. And uh, go ahead and listen to that at the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And Scotty's host of Lockdown Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And I, you know, I'm mostly joking about talking about the Dan, Cam- Dan Campbell motivational speaker guys in the cold. Open. It is funny, it, though. It is just funny. And we'll, we'll open the show and, you know, shoot the crap about it for a couple minutes here. But Derek Lalone came out and said that he'd love to have uh, Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions, come in and be a, like a motivational speaker to fire up the boys before a Red Wings game because d- – uh, Derek alone, who's going to the Thanksgiving game, obviously noted what we've all known about Dan Campbell for a while and that he has a type of charisma to just get the men fired up in the locker room. So I thought that was just more or less just funny anecdotal nonsense out of the Detroit Red Wings organization uh, this week. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's just funny. Like on, on, <laughs> Lalone came out and said that his favorite teams, his favorite football team is the Bills. Cause like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he why, went to the Bills game uh, when right. he went and played Buffalo. Right. So he's, he's a Buffalo Bills fan, but now that he's coaching in Detroit and, and whatnot, he says that the Lions are his favorite NFC team and, and like all that. And he obviously, you know, he's part of the, the Detroit culture now and everything. He so, has to like them. Right. So he, he'd be fired. He said, oh, I don't know about that, but he, he did say that, um, that, that he's going to the Thanksgiving game, like his two favorite teams. Right. And yeah, he just kind of threw out there. He was just like, yeah, uh, once the Lions season is over, he really wants Dan Campbell to go in there and talk to the boys. And like, that's just, that's, that's super funny. Like who doesn't want to like motivational pep talk from Dan Campbell, honestly. Like who? Who doesn't like that? That would get anybody riled up and, and ready to run through a brick wall. So, um, yeah, just kind of a a funny thing. But yeah, he he says he says he's gonna go to the game on Thanksgiving and he's gonna ask Dan Campbell to come speak to the Detroit Red Wings when the Lions season is over. So I guess we'll have an update on that <laughs> next week on if he uh, on if he accepts that invite or not. But kind of funny, yeah. It, it's just funny. It's goofy. It's nonsense, and well, also, it's a like, slow news people, day. So <laughs> people that are if you're a fan, if you're a, a Detroit Red Wings fan that's not a fan of the rest of the teams in this city, then I guess it doesn't really matter to you, but. Obviously, a large majority of Wings fans are fans of the other three teams in town. And it's it's always just cool optically just to see whether it's the front offices or the players or the the head coaches slash managers, whatever, to all I don't know. Like we we've seen GMs like go around and talk to each other. We've seen head coaches in the past. We've seen my Twitter header is literally like Iserman Dumars. 
uh, Cecil Fielder and Barry Sanders, like all on in Tiger Stadium together. Like it's those kind of moments are just like for the city. Like it's just cool. So yeah, yeah. like not a story at all, but like fun to talk about at least. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and then another thing that's kind of anecdotal and just builds on a conversation we had in a previous episode right before the season started regarding Dylan Larkin. Prashant Iyer uh, tweeted out yesterday, I believe it was, um, that since the start of last season, so the 2021-22 season, top 10 centers and expected goals above replacement per 60 minutes with greater than a thousand minutes played at center include these 10 players. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Patrice Bergeron, Steven Stamkos, Brock Nelson, Jack Eichel, Leon Dreisaitl, Evgeny Malkin, Jack Hughes, and at number 10, Dylan Larkin. So that is quite literally elite company to be in for the most part. And this is more or less just more proof that furthers our argument that Dylan Larkin needs to get paid. And it's a little... I won't call it concerning, but it's a little interesting to note that Dylan Larkin has yet to not just sign a contract, but to really hear anything on the contract front. And I know that Steve Eisman normally keeps his cards to his chest, but he's going to be a UFA this year, and he's the captain of your team. And which is why, for the most part, I have full confidence Dylan Larkin is going to remain here because the Red Wings don't give people a captaincy if they're not going to be here for a long time. Um, and... I think that that furthers the argument that he's probably going to be in my estimation between eight and a half and $10 million a year for the, what's the maximum you can sign with where you sign with the same team, eight years. Yeah, no, I, and like you said, that's something that we've talked about before and we'll probably continue bringing up throughout the season until it happens. Um, but at this point, I don't think there's any shadow of a doubt in really anyone's mind that he is going to get a long-term extension. Uh, it was cool to see Prashant is just the man. So it was just cool to see uh, any stat that validates or any number or any clip or any anything that validates Dylan Larkin being really good. I mean, we talk about every single game recap. We talk about the fact that he's, you know, just over a point a game right now and and how good of a season he's having. So, yeah, he's he's the captain of the team. And that wasn't a previous regime thing either. Like that was yeah. Steve Iserman chose him to be the captain of the Detroit Red Wings. Like there are some stuff that, you know, if you inherit it, it's a different conversation or what not. Like, no, this this was this was Iserman was well established and had been here for for a little bit by the time that he decided to name Larkin the captain. So I have zero doubt that he's gonna get extended. I completely agree with you. I think Numbers like that just reiterate that. Um, I think I said, what did, did I say? Eight seven five to nine two five, something like that. You know what I said? I was somewhere around there. But again, we'll have this conversation. I'm sure, uh, maybe even a couple more times until pen hits paper. But yeah, we we never hear any updates ever because that's an Iserman front office for you. And um, <laughs> right. Right, that that's just how he runs the show, and uh, and and yeah, it'll it'll definitely be something to try and keep an eye on if we do get any any nibbles on some news going forward. But for the time being, it's just reiterating the fact that that, that he deserves what the money that he's likely going to get, 
and that he's going to be the captain of this team for a long time. I don't think anyone should worry about that. And there's two other things to consider as well. And, you know, I throw out a number like 10 million and for a lot of people like, Oh my God, you can't pay Dylan Larkin 10 million. He's not worth $10 million. You got to keep in mind that the salary cap is going up by a lot in the next couple of seasons. And there have been some yeah. reports that say it's going up a lot sooner than we expected um, as well. Like the original estimate we saw was two or three seasons, but by now it's going to go up. I can't remember the number. I think it was like $9 million. And some estimates that have come out since then say it could be as soon as next year it jumps up like four or five. It's going to rise year over year, but the amount it rises year over year here is varying. And it's just how soon it's going to jump. What's up? Do you remember this no, I is remember I, I'm using a, a different sport analogy again, but like, do you remember when Stafford became the highest paid quarterback in the NFL and everybody freaked out? And then the next was like, like oh my goodness, like this is so ridiculous. He doesn't deserve this. Look at this stat, this stat, this stat. And then within 12 months, he was like the sixth highest paid because the cap went up a kajillion dollars. And then now he's like a middle of the pack-ish, slightly higher than middle of the pack paid QB. Like, yeah, that's, that's how it works. That's like, like it, I, I'm not saying that Larkin's going to get like 13 mil or anything like that. But if, if you look at it and you're like, Oh my goodness, like nine and a half, like that's an overpay or 10, that's an overpay. Like, but by year two of his presumably like five to seven year deal, it will no longer, you will no longer view it as an overpay. I mean, precisely. Uh, that's exactly it. I mean, you pay him nine and a half now and you think that's an overpay, but you still have a ton of cap space and well, not a ton, but you have like $11 million mm, in cap space. <laughs> you have expiring deals that you're probably not going to re up like Pew Suter. And then, so with that cap space going up that in two or three years or in six or seven years, especially near the nearing the end of that, that's not going to be a huge contract anymore. It's still going to be sizable, but it's not going to be a huge contract anymore. And then also the other point I wanted to bring up before I was so rudely interrupted by Scott Bentley over there. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love you. Um, <laughs> was uh, that but I'm, I'm so sick and tired of the, narrative that he is like not a one C and we talked about this as well. It's another thing. Like th again, this conversation is a conversation we've had before. And we're going to continue to have until he signs inside until that pen is to paper, as you put it, he has been an elite company in many statistics for a long time now, but because his point total doesn't reflect that because he's been oft injured, people think he's a two C and he doesn't play great defense. And I'm not going to try and say that he does. And I would love if, eventually he came alive as an elite defensive player, but the offensive production that he does play outweighs the subpar defense that he, you know, seems to lack. And it's not horrible defense by any imagination. He plays good center, but it's not like elite level two way game. But in, this is exactly this statistic right here was expected goals above replacement, which factors in goals for and goals against He is producing goals at a higher rate than he is allowing them. He's, leading the team in at five on five uh, plus minus goal differential. So he's plus nine. So he's clearly he's producing more goals. Like just about everything. Right yeah. <laughs> so Dylan Larkin, I won't try and say like, if we had Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews would be the one C like, yeah. there's no, no doubt. There, there's a misconception that one C means that like Elite. he would be the one C on any team in hockey. And like there being a one C on a team doesn't mean that nobody in the league is better than you. Are that like no matter what, there's a difference between like, oh, you're in the, the group of like the five or, or eight or 10 best players of any position in the game of hockey versus like you could be a one C on a competitive like championship winning team. Like those are not 
mutually exclusive things. Exactly. All. He'd be a number one C on at least half these teams in the league right now. So yeah. he, he is a one C on this team and he deserves to be so. Um, but that's going to wrap up that conversation. Unless you have any other points. Um, but nope, no, no, I think that's it. Cool. Uh, let's go ahead to break number one here and talk to you guys today about athletic greens. This next product uh, partner is a product you're going to use every single day. Start taking AG one because With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of those things. It's lifestyle-friendly whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting super good. AG1 is small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. Your subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in these winter months when you don't get as much sunlight. Atlanta Greens is a climate neutral certified company. In 2020, AG purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition it's just one cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase and all you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash nhl network again that is athleticgreens.com slash nhl network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance Segment two, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Scotty, uh, let's move now into our game preview of the Nashville Predators. And this is more previewing the preview in in a sense. The Red Wings have had two off days, so they've had two practices. And in both practices, the lines have remained the same, but also in a different different way than what we've seen from the games. They're different lines, but they were the same in both practices. What were those lines? Yeah, two days in a row now. The top six is really, I think, where a lot of the conversation comes from. But there's also, I I think, a discussion to be had about the fourth line too. But uh, So on back-to-back days, the lines have been – this is Ansar Khan, by the way, the M Live reporter for the Detroit Red Wings. Great follow on the Bird app. Um Tweeted out that the lines two days in a row. Top line was Kubalik, Larkin, Perron. Then second line was Bertuzzi, Cop, Raymond. Third was Ernie, Rasmussen, Sunquist, And fourth was Bergerin, Valeno, Suter. And then defensive pairings is pretty much what we've seen all year. Uh, Sherrod, Sider, Mata, Hironik, Wallman, Oster laid down in the third. So, uh, and there's a couple of cool, like seeing the power play units as well is, is kind of unique, but I just I think the the like you said the top six while it's been the same two days in a row in practice is notably different than we are used to so far this season. I think that that's where this conversation starts. Anything that puts Kubalik and Larkin together, I'm going to be a fan of just because that seems like instant offense on a line, and uh, I think that that's a good move in Perron. He started off hot, then production-wise slowed down a little bit, but has still been a very steady and great addition to this team, obviously. But the second line I'm really pumped for, I think surrounding Andrew Kopp, which is somebody who we've talked about 
has gotten off to a little bit of a slower start offensive production-wise. or Putting him on a line with Raymond, who's been red hot lately, and Bertuzzi, who's back and healthy and, and is kind of instant offense and kind of wreaks havoc and helps anybody he plays with. I think that's beautiful. I um I agree on some regard. I disagree on others. I'm not so sure I like the idea of putting Raymond on line two. I know they've done it in the past and it's been fine. Um, but just I, after last year, I'm like staunchly against the line blender. And you finally found some chemistry in the last two games with your offensive production, especially the game against Columbus. And I understand Columbus is one of the worst teams in the league right now. Um, As a so, and San Jose, and you put up good five on five numbers against Columbus. So you have to take it with a grain of salt against a team like teams like that. But you're basically just swapping the winger pairs on lines one and two, giving Bertuzzi and Raymond to cop. And I understand the idea that cops not necessarily. So he's not getting goals, but he does have 10 points in 18 games. So he's a little over half point per game, which is honestly a little kind of in the range you were expecting cop to produce at. You wanted I think a little bit more goals, but sure. we knew when they signed him, he was going to be a um, defense first, second yep. line center. You signed him primarily for his faceoff wins, really, and he unfortunately hasn't provided that. But his offensive production, if you look at his point total, isn't really that far behind, if at all, his career totals, his career pacing. Sure. Last year he had a career year, so it might be a little unfair to expect him to replicate that immediately. So I don't necessarily know if you needed to swap wingers. Now, I'm not so against it that I'm not willing to try it because I think that, like you said, Kubelik and Perron does provide a lot of... Um, they, they have great chemistry, and putting them on a line with a, a generator like Larkin who can finish in his own right, um, that could be a very lethal line. And, and, you know, obviously Raymond is a guy who can make things happen. Bertuzzi is a guy who can make things happen. And Cop's a guy who can make things happen. So you put those three together. I think it's still going to be an effective top six. But I don't see the need to sh shake up the chemistry when the chemistry seems to be doing okay as is. Yeah, I I, I think I, I'm a fan of it. I really like it. And, again, that doesn't mean that I think that this should just be, like, the top six for the remainder of the season. But – I think, again, with how much we talk about the inconsistency of this team and with how much we talk about their struggling on five-on-five -on -five play, and we said it just a couple episodes ago, like them beating and outplaying five-on-five, five, two of the worst teams in the NHL, does not make me like change my opinion of what's needed to improve the five-on-five -five play. Like, I don't care. Like, that's great, and it's a step, like a start. But it's like a very long way away for me to be like, oh, yeah, like we should just like not touch these lines anymore because they outplayed the Columbus Blue Jackets five on five. So like I'm totally down to like continue moving. And I just feel like line two really just intrigues me a lot. And we I understand like the optics of like you want Raymond to be like a first line winger. And that's like what everybody thinks his ceiling is. And I agree with that. I mean, it is his ceiling. I, I don't even know if it's his ceiling. It might just be his floor at this point with how yeah, well no, he's been Absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, But I, I think this is similar to, and I know that Bert, it happened to Bertuzzi again here, but I think this is similar to last year when they moved Bertu, Bertuzzi down a line. Yeah. Even though his production was fine, just because like, Oh, we want more than one line to be able to score. Like, I mean, I think pretty objectively, like Bertuzzi, Cop, and Raymond is like a, a really 
a higher ceiling second line than maybe we've seen this season, or at least has the ability to be. And I'm very much willing to try it. I, I like it a lot. I, I think the most interesting part of these two dynamics in the top six, as we've seen in back-to-back practices here, is the type, the style of game that they each play. Because Larkin is, I mean, he gets both assists and goals, but he is an offense first kind of guy. I already remarked sure. on his, you know, not, Super impressive defensive capabilities. Not bad, but not like primary goal in his mind. Kubalik, we know, is noted as just horribly defensively. You deploy him specifically to shoot the puck, score on the rush, score on the power play. Perron, similar. Perron's better at defense than Kubalik, but he's another power play guy, shoot the puck guy. He's a great passer in the offensive zone. So it seems like line number one is going out there primarily to score your goals. Like that is your glass cannon line, so to speak. You're go, you're scoring on the rush, setting up in the offensive zone, and then line two. Tyler Bertuzzi's a Thule guy. He can do it on both sides of the puck. We've noted that already. Lucas Raymond can play both sides of the puck and is very good at gap control and playing off the puck and finding out where to go to intercept the puck. And Andrew Kopp is a defensive-minded forward, so it's almost like line one is meant to be a glass cannon line, while line two is meant to be your, you know securing the five on five possession and pacing line. Um, yeah, sure. I, I, I think that Bertuzzi's style just helps any line. Oh, absolutely. No matter what. No, like yeah. so much that if you having that plus the ability to have more of a ISO score or like a, a shooter like Raymond ISO, on well, I mean, like he kind of has the ability to be an ISO scorer sometimes, but like that. My my point is just I think those two paired with Cop, who is not going to go out and average like a point a game or fill up, you know, you know, be a prolific goal scorer. I think those two with Cop, he can help on the defensive side, and the two of them can provide offense, and Cop can be a really nice facilitator to those two. I I, I like it, and again, I, I'm not saying that this should just be like the top six forever, but I, I am in a, in a season in which we are trying so many different things to find some sort of combination that equates to consistent offensive pressure. I'm willing to give this a try. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. Uh, when we come back, we'll transition into the game itself, comparing the two teams, their numbers and how we think that game is going to go as Red Wings look to make it three in a row when we come back on Locked on Red Wings. Segment three, Locked on Red Wings podcast. Scotty, let's talk about the Nashville Predators game uh, that's coming up tonight by the time people are listening to this. And the Nashville Predators so far this season are fourth in the Central Division. They're nine, eight, and two. They're not great. They're not bad either. Uh, they're just okay, I would argue. Uh, their power play is what? What did we say it was like t- way down at the bottom of the league? I'm on the wrong tab here. I gotta find it. Yeah, the the I mean the yeah the power play is in the bottom seven or eight. Twenty eighth, twenty eighth in the league, and their penalty kill is what twelfth. Yeah. So they've got a decent penalty kill. They they're seventh. Sorry, they got a good penalty kill, but they got a really bad power play. So when you're looking at the Nashville Predators, how is it looking head to head? I think the there's a few things to keep in mind. One is that this team loves dr- penalties. <laughs> like the Nashville, <laughs> Nashville Predators 
are uh, are very high up there in uh, in pims and like a like a borderline top ten team and like most pims a game and the Detroit Red Wings for as much as we've talked about the improvement that's still needed on their special teams um, they don't draw too many penalties in comparison to the rest of the league so that's, that's something crazy, and we've man. talked about our power play and how uh, it's one of the main sources of offense we have so far this season with how much our five on five has struggled so i i think that that's definitely the first thing to look at is take advantage of the penalties they give you if they're in the penalty if they're in the box the whole game take advantage like that's i think that's probably the biggest thing that pops out to me from the nashville side of things uh, the other big one is the Preds are one of the best teams in the face-off circle in the NHL, and you're one of the worst. And that is not exactly a recipe for success, but it's something we've talked about all year. And a lot of times, even though we have consistently been at the bottom of the NHL in the face-off circle, if we're playing like a middle-of-the-road team, sometimes we can overcome it. But nine five Nashville, and two? Nash, yeah, Nashville is not just like, oh, like they're, you know, 15th or 12th. Like that's a... It's a borderline top five team in the NHL when it comes to their success in the faceoff circle. And you are in the bottom three or four in the NHL. So, yeah, I think that so they take a lot of penalties, which is great because the Red Wings power play is 16th in the league, which isn't horrible, but it's not great. It's a massive improvement over last year. 16th in the league is I if they finish the season now and they finish the season 16th in the league on power play, I would call that a success. I because that is absolutely. a massive improvement. Yeah, if um, you finished it right in the middle compared to the last three years, yes, that's obviously a massive win. But if you look at one thing that the Predators do well, and I mean, you already said it, but their penalty kill is great. So while they take a ton of penalties, they can afford to because their penalty kill is phenomenal. Now, like I used to say with the Red Wings before their goalless streak, goals against goalless against streak, on the penalty kill, how do I phrase that? You get what I'm trying to say. Uh, with snaps. Yeah, they went on a streak in which they didn't give up a goal. <laughs> yeah, at the start of the season on the penalty right. kill, eventually your bend don't break is going to break. And so if you keep taking lots of penalties, eventually you're going to get scored on. And the Red Wings having a decent power play is nice. They also, Red Wings themselves, have the 13th best penalty kill. So they're on the upper echelon of the league too, the top half of the league on the penalty kill. So while... To my surprise, as you just said, they don't take a lot of penalties because it feels like they take a ton. Um, they got a pretty good penalty kill themselves. So I look at this Nashville Predators team, Scotty, and they feel a lot like the Detroit Red Wings, but on the opposite side of their, I won't say rebuild, the Red Wings are going up and the Predators are sliding down. Their window has closed and they're slowly getting worse, falling into a rebuild in my eyes. Um you know, they're carried by good goaltending. They have five games from Kevin Lankinen. He's got a 921 save percentage. You see Saros, their starter, has got 15 games played. He's got a 905 save percentage, so he's been okay. But they're a team that doesn't score a lot of goals offensively. They got just one player in Forsberg that's over a point per game, followed up by, of course, Roman Yossi, who's a phenomenal, one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, he's just under a point per game, but they don't have a ton of scoring on their roster. So I view them as a team that's very similar to the Detroit Red Wings in that regard, where their goaltending is keeping pace. Um, their scoring has a couple of guys at the top. And after that, it kind of drops off and their penalty kill and power play are just meh power play for the predators. Notably is a lot worse, 
but they're they seem to be in the same okayish zone. So this is a very winnable game for the Detroit Red Wings, especially as the first game on a homestand coming off the back coming off of back to back wins where you should be riding momentum. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just as a unit this year, the Red Wings' offense is better. Uh, th- like we said, their power play is slightly better. Like th- this, this is um, this is absolutely a game that you can win, and it's at home. I I like it. I, I think Bet Online has both the teams as like almost a push. Like they're very close in uh, or just even, and uh, they might both be minus money actually at the moment. But they are. Yeah. So. That's uh, that shows you how how close this game and how close uh, outsiders that that aren't involved with these two organizations view this game. And yeah, I think that this is super winnable. And and this is a this is a big. I, I don't want to sound like a broken record and just be like, oh, like you need to win like every like toss up game or game you're better than. But like uh, again, deep, boys. if if you want to be able to like afford to lose to like the the Leafs and the Bruins and et cetera. If you want to like have those losses be like way more acceptable and like much easier to swallow, you have to beat the teams that you're either better than and then steal a few toss-up games that are like 50-50 games. And uh, this will certainly help that. I mean, you 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 have a better record. Like you're, you're, I don't know. Uh, this, this feels like a, should a game be a win. that they absolutely should win again. You're at home. Like I said, I don't know who so assuming that he's in that after a few games off as well. I'm not really sure there's going to be too much of an ex- excuse to, to not win this game. They're a middle of the pack team. And our argument is, is the Red Wings are this year as well. That's a success for the Red Wings is to be a middle of the pack team. So this is a winnable game. You should go out there and you should play this game close and you should win it to just kind of further that proof. And like I said, home game, first of a homestand coming off of a road trip. You won the last two, won them in big fashion. You have the momentum on your side. The Predators, they just snapped, or they didn't snap a losing streak. They lost one of the Tampa Bay Lightning, then beat the Coyotes, which, oh boy, you beat the Coyotes. Big whoop. Um, I I shouldn't say that after the whooping the Coyotes put on the Red Wings last year. But they're one of the worst teams in the league. So this is the the cards are in your hand you know the ball's in your court this is your opportunity to you know make a statement win like this is where we can't we can beat more than just the bottom tier teams we can beat the middle tier teams i don't know what kind of statement it is but they need to win they have to win they got to prove that this is it's certainly a statement more than just the crappy teams right if right exactly that it's it's certainly a a statement if you beat uh i'll tell you something middle of the road teams is a majority of the NHL. Yeah. There's a few outliers. Right. There's a few outliers at the very bottom. There's a few outliers at the very, very top. And the rest of like the 70% of the league (laughs) is all middle of the road. So if you can beat middle of the road and not just get all your wins against the jackets and the sharks and the coyotes and the Hawks, then like that's, that's certainly a statement and you're going to play yourself into contention later in the season. Absolutely. Okay, so the over-under of this game is set to six. The Red Wings have hit the over in the last two games after hitting the under for, uh, I felt like, forever. Um, how are you feeling? Are you thinking they they regress to the mean and they hit the under again? Or you think they're going to hit the over and just continue that momentum and score big goals? I'm going with the under. See, I'm going to go with the over in this one. 
I think that they carry the, that would. momentum and they do play good five on five. You would take the over. It would be a little okay. I, I mean, I was going to take the over regardless, <laughs> but it would be a little boring if we just consistently agreed on over under, you know? I don't think we have lately. Not not a whole lot. You kept taking the over when they kept hitting the under, and now you flip flopped and I flip flopped. Yeah, I'm like that. Yeah, contrarian is what they call you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I'm I'm gonna go with the under though. I especially if Huso's in that, and I know that's like a really like broken record, like obvious thing to say, but nine fifteen save percentage, baby. Right. It, it it's tough to to see. Huso in that and the wings just like single-handedly scoring enough goals to hit the over a lot of nights. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take, um, I'll tell you this is a really good opponent or a really bad goalie we're going up against. So I'll, I'll take the under in this one. Yeah, absolutely. So we will be back tomorrow to recap this game. Happy. It'll be a Thanksgiving episode technically for everyone. I guess we should probably announce, too, that we will not have a Black Friday episode because we record the day before, and we are not recording on Thanksgiving. So it will be off this Friday. But there will be an episode on Thanksgiving uh, going up at our usual time on midnight as we will record after the game. So stay tuned. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. Every day.